these new findings I'm talking about. So, thank you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Kostin Rayu. I'm the head of Kaspersky's uh, Global Research and Analysis Team, which is a group of experts from, 30, uh, from 13 countries uh, which think about future threats and ways to fight against future threats. And the group that I'm heading uh, is a group which analyzed and discovered malware such as Flame, such as Gauss, uh, or uh, later the Mini Flame, and of course, uh, Red October and the Mini Duke. So basically, this is what we are doing all day long. We are trying to think about future threats and try to find uh, some of the most interesting attacks out there. And uh, of course, everybody knows that the cyber criminals are driven by money. So what cyber criminals are doing every day is that they are trying to get rich. And we have seen people like Vladimir Tsatsin here uh, in the photo, which actually, you know, they became millionaires uh, they made millions and millions of dollars by using malware, either by sending spam or, or selling fake medications and so on and so on. And the truth is that cyber criminals are driven by money. However, there is something else out there besides cyber criminals. And those are the nation states. And the nation states are actually driven by something else. The nation states, you know, they don't attack each other to make money. Uh, and I'm sure everybody has heard about the recent stories uh, from uh, Mandiant about uh, attacks against U.S. companies, uh, supposedly coming from China. The truth is that every big nation state out there has a cyber warfare department. And things such as Red October and the Mini Duke, they're actually proof, you know, that such uh, cyber warfare operations exist pretty much for every nation state. Um, how many people remember the Aurora attack from 2009? Some of you. So uh, this was one of the most interesting attacks. Uh, back in 2009, Google announced that they were hacked. And uh, together with Google, there were actually about three, uh, 30 other companies, companies such as Morgan Stanley, Adobe, Juniper, Yahoo, which were also attacked by these guys, by the Aurora guys. Uh, and back in 2009, Google said that the attackers were traced back to China. And I think that the Aurora attack represents the first big incident which defines these cyber warfare operations around the world. When I saw the attack, uh, uh, the Aurora attack, I thought that there is something new going on and this is going to become an explosive trend. The second big incident was a Stuxnet. Uh, and uh, Stuxnet was announced in, was discovered in June 2010 uh, by a guy named Sergei Ulasan. And actually I spoke to Sergei Ulasan and he told me the story of how Stuxnet was discovered and that's a pretty interesting story. Sergei Ulasan was uh, on a Saturday evening at a friend's wedding. Uh, and of course he was doing what every other programmer is doing at a friend's wedding which is uh, to think about work. And as he was thinking about work, he got a call from a colleague. And the other colleague said, Sergey, sorry to disturb you at your friend's wedding. Uh, we have uh, some kind of a problem. And he said, what kind of problem? 
uh, well, many of our users are reporting problems, blue screens, and we don't know why this is happening. Do you think you can come to the office instead of the wedding? And he went back to the office and he stayed for the full night. And that's how they discovered Stuxnet. And Stuxnet is uh, actually the first known cyber weapon. It is the first computer program which proved that uh, uh, hardware, real life, real world hardware can be damaged by computer programs. And we now know that the target of Stuxnet was a uranium enrichment uh, plant at Natanz in uh, Iran. Another interesting discovery was the Duku. And uh, Duku was discovered in September 2011 by the Hungarian uh, group called Krizis from the Hungarian University of Economics and Engineering. Um, and uh, Duku is interesting because it shows another dimension in this cyber espionage war. Uh, Duku was actually used in the creation of Stuxnet. The informations collected by Duku were later used to create Stuxnet. So uh, uh, to, just to summarize, we had uh, the Aurora attack, and then we had Stuxnet, and then we had Duku. So that's basically one big attack every year. Uh, so moving to the next year, to 2012, on May 28, 2012, Kaspersky Lab announced uh, Flame. And Flame, uh, later, it was discovered to be a malware associated with Stuxnet, and it was one of the most sophisticated computer malware ever discovered. When Flame is uh, deployed on a system, it is about 20 megabytes. And um, when we discover Flame, we estimated that it will take 10 years to fully understand what Flame is doing. And some people actually laughed and they said like, how can you spend 10 years on just one computer virus? How, how sophisticated can it be? But after uh, we published some further information and after Microsoft admitted that the attackers of Flame managed to uh, crack one of the Microsoft uh, digital certificates, then you know people stopped laughing and they understood what a complicated threat is flame and it will take many more years to understand uh, uh, exactly what it is doing. Um, now we are already in 2013 and at the beginning of 2013 on 14 of January we announced a malware campaign known as Red October. And Red October once again it is a very sophisticated and interesting malware attack. Um, we estimate there are somewhere around 1,000 victims around the world. So what I want to tell you today is a story of how we discovered Red October. So what happened is that in October 2012, and uh, this is why we are calling it Red October, because in October 2012, one of our clients from a country in the European Union gave us a CD-ROM, and they said, can you please take a look at this uh, uh, attack we received, maybe it's something interesting for you. And this information has never been disclosed before uh, because uh, the, the people who provided us the sample of Red October, they wanted to stay anonymous. But we spoke to them and they actually agreed that uh, it's okay for me to mention today that uh, the sample of Red October came from a country in the European Union. So they gave us this malware in October, and um, so it was something really interesting and sophisticated. October was a very hot month for us, and that's why we decided to call it uh, Red October. And Red October basically uh, 
the first moment we looked at Red October, we discovered that uh, the exploits were Chinese. So when you see this kind of attacks and uh, people who work in my team, we see this kind of attacks every day. Uh, and many of these different attacks actually have uh, all sorts of Chinese indications uh, in the samples. And there is no surprise that the Red October samples, they appear to be created by uh, somebody on a system running a simplified Chinese uh, Singapore version. So we said perhaps this is just yet another, um, you know, attack coming from China. However, this was uh, not the case here, uh, as you will see later. And when we actually looked at the number of victims around the world, we discovered a huge map which includes uh, probably close to 1,000 victims in uh, over 65 countries. Uh, I would say that pretty much, uh, you know, every big country in the world was hit by Red October, maybe with the exception of uh, China and Canada for some reason. Uh, but later, we actually found some reports of uh, Red October from other countries which are missing from this map, like for instance, Romania, and uh, I think it's Poland, uh, and they don't have infections in the map, but later we discovered infections. And what is interesting is that uh, uh, in all these countries, we have different kinds of victims, like governments, like embassies, like energy, like nuclear, nuclear energy uh, entities, like oil and gas research, um, um, pretty much uh, all sorts of very interesting high profile targets which were compromised by the Red October attack. And we actually, we discovered that Red October has been going on for about five years. So this attack was ongoing for five years before we discovered and announced it. And it's quite interesting how they managed to survive for so long without being detected. Um, when uh, Red October attackers were trying to compromise PCs, they were sending uh, emails with the documents, with attached documents. And here are some examples of documents, real names, real names of uh, documents used in the Red October attacks. Uh, some of them, like this one here, this is a Romanian, it was used in Romania, it says uh, phone, uh, the phone uh, uh, agenda of institutions and uh, ministries. Uh, this is in Russian. It's like a list of workers. Uh, this, I think, was used in uh, Saudi Arabia, list of shahids. Um, I think this one here, tact list, was used in several uh, NATO countries. Um, and this one here, which is uh, very interesting, is called Ketin Opinia Rosian. Maybe anybody recognizes the language? It's Polish? Polish, right? Uh, it's a very uh, interesting document. This was used in Poland uh, to uh, attack some of the government targets. So they were using very interesting file names in these attacks. Um, in some cases, inside the document, you could find um, some, uh, let's say, useful information. This one, for instance, uh, diplomatic car for sale. This, this particular document was sent to the employees of one embassy. So it was something like, if you want to buy this uh, diplomatic car, it's like very, very cheap, $2,700. It's a Mazda from 1998, fully automatic, uh, with benzene, right? 
and if the car is in very good conditions. And uh, the trick is that, you know, many people, when they see such emails, they actually open these emails, and that's how they got infected with the Red October. Uh, Red October, when it infects your computer, it starts connecting to some special domains, like anti-Windows Online, anti-Windows Update, and anti-Windows Check. And when I, uh, when I saw these communications the first time in October, I decided to check one of these domains. For instance, anti-Windows Online, this was registered by a guy named Ustugov Denis Egorovich, supposedly from Russia, from Omsk. But we checked this information, and once again, just like the Chinese exploits, it's fake. There is no such person in Omsk named Ustugov Denis Egorovich. And they used a system called as Web Money in order to register all these fake domains, which is uh, theoretically untraceable. So they were able to purchase uh, these domains and servers and uh, with fake information through the use of Web Money. Um, what is interesting is that the servers used by Red October um, were located in Russia and in Germany. And this is one of the first server we discovered in Red October. It was hosted in Germany at a company called uh, Hetzner Online. Uh, and of course, we informed Hetzner and we informed uh, German law enforcement about these uh, servers. In the total, there were about um, 25 different Red October servers. And I think half of them were actually here in Germany for some reason. Um, what is also interesting, there were servers in United States, in uh, UK, in Austria, and so on. But the vast majority of servers were in Germany and in Russia. Um, what is also very interesting is that the oldest uh, Red October domain was registered in 2007. It was uh, msgenuine.net, this one, registered in May. And the newest was actually registered in October 2012 called drivers.check. And in total, we uncovered about 60 domains used by the Red October campaigns. Uh, and we were actually able to manage to get nine of them, which allowed us to create a map of victims around the world. What is uh, really interesting about this old domain, so you may think that uh, this attack from 2007 might be extinct by 2012. However, when the, the moment we managed to register the domain msgenuine.net, this was actually in November 2012, on no 19th of November. And just moments after we registered this domain, we got a connection from the first victim. And the victim of, uh, this victim of Red October was from Greece. So can you imagine that probably these people, they got infected about five or four years ago, and still in 2012, they were still infected with Red October, which is, in my opinion, uh, almost incredible information. Um, we also performed an analysis of the Red October infrastructure, and this is how they steal data from your computers. Uh, all the data, they first go to servers in Germany at Hetzner, um, servers in Russia, here, in Germany, and also there was a server in Austria. After there, the, the, the data stolen, it goes to a second level of servers, also in Germany and in Russia, 
And finally, we don't know exactly where it goes, but probably it goes back to the attackers. And we estimate that during the last five years, Red October attackers stole several petabytes of information. And if you're wondering how much is several petabytes, we calculate they managed to steal the equivalent of the uh, uh, Library of Congress of the United States. So um, it's a huge amount of information they managed to steal during these five years. Um, Red October, it has a huge amount of different attack modules, 34 types. We identified over 1,000, and probably we haven't been able to find all of them yet. We suspect that there are modules of Red October that we haven't seen yet. Um, what is very interesting about Red October? Red October has the ability to steal information from your PC, which is encrypted. And they specifically look for files which were encrypted by something called Acid Cryptofiller. So anybody is familiar with this software? Uh, probably no, because this is a software that is used by NATO and by the um, European uh, Union for encryption of communications. So, uh, very few people have access to this kind of software, and you can be sure that the users of Acid Cryptofiller are very high profile. And uh, actually, there is a Wikipedia page about Acid Cryptofiller, and what they say here in French, it's a, a software that was created by the uh, um, chief department uh, from the uh, uh, center um, the uh, informatic center of the military, of the French military, from the general direction of uh, the French uh, military. And this is used basically for encryption of communications. What is also interesting is that we didn't know this, but after we announced Red October, we discovered another software. There is a program called Chiasmus. Maybe somebody knows about this one? This is a software that was created by the German BSI. And once again, this software is uh, used for encryption of communications at the pretty much highest levels. Um, and uh, the attackers of Red October, they uh, specifically look for files encrypted by Chiasmus uh, from the BSI, and they steal these uh, encrypted documents together with the encryption keys. So let me explain what this means. If during the past years the Red October attackers got access to the encryption keys used by ACID and by Chiasmus, uh, it basically means they got access and they compromised the inf encrypted infrastructure used by these entities to talk to each other. So it's a possibility that the whole infrastructure used by these groups by, uh, from NATO and the European Union uh, the, ins the infrastructure which they use for communications with uh, acid cryptofiller and with chiasmus has been compromised. And we can only hope that they are replacing all the keys, all the encryption keys and passwords uh, in order to block the access of the attackers to such information in the future. Um, what about the people behind Red October? So who, who exactly is behind Red October? Uh, and there are some interesting keywords inside Red October, like for instance, at some point they say cannot inject Zaklatka. So anybody knows what Zaklatka means? What does it mean? <laughs> You're from Russia. 
Uh, well, it's a Russian slang word which is used to indicate like a microphone uh, hidden in the wall of an embassy. So this is like uh, from the old times of the Cold War when, you know, the superpowers were spying on each other and putting bugs into the walls of the embassies. Those in Russia, those were called zakladkas. And it's funny that when they infect a mobile phone, they actually send this message to the controllers that if, if we were not able to infect the mobile phone, they say cannot inject zakladka or if that works, they say Zaklatka injected. So we, we believe that the attackers of Red October speak the Russian language. There is another interesting uh, keyword here, which is proga. Uh, once again, proga is a Russian slang word for program. It's like a small program, you call it uh, proga. So once again, we believe that the um, uh, people behind Red October speak the Russian language. But this is the best proof that the, the people behind Red October speak Russian. And once again, this information has never been uh, published before. This is a, a proof of a communication between a registrar and the Red October attackers. So it's from 2008, and we uh, managed to get these emails. So there are three emails uh, which have been exchanged by Red October attackers and the registrar. So what happens here is that the Red October guys, they purchased a domain name. And they activated uh, for this domain called MS Info Online, uh, they activated who is protect. This uh, who is protect will hide the names of the people who register the domain. So they sent an email in Russian, and this is pretty good Russian from what I hear. Uh, we, it says like, uh, I have a problem, uh, the who is protect is not working for my domain, like panic. Like uh, big, big problem. Uh, what does it mean there is already a pending action for this order? And then, this was 12.45, uh, basically uh, nine, nine minutes later, they sent another very short email in Russian, uh, which says, uh, and how can I fix this problem? because they forgot to ask how to fix the problem. Uh, and once again, my colleagues from Russia, they say that uh, this specific construction, Akak Moshna, it's a typical, you know, native Russian speaker construction. So uh, somebody, uh, only somebody who is really fluent in Russian will say something like this. And finally, they send another, three minutes later, they send another, uh, uh, email about another problem, domain sync failed. Uh, and there, of course, you can see here that they're really uh, upset about the whole situation. So this information, which has never been shown before, so I'm showing to you first, it indicates that the people behind Red October speak native Russian language. It doesn't mean that they're from Russia. They can be also from countries where Russian is speak, uh, spoken natively, like uh, Belarus, Kazakhstan, um, you know, or Ukraine. But nevertheless, we believe they speak native Russian. Um, the Mini-Duke is the other uh, important announcement that we made this year. And we came by the Mini-Duke attacks while investigating several uh, targeted threats against NATO entities. Uh, and what we discovered were two documents. Uh, and uh, these are the two documents. Uh, the first one said Ukraine's NATO membership action plan. So probably you all know that there are some discussions about Ukraine joining NATO. 
and this is like a reason for very uh, tense and conflicts. And there's another email saying Ukraine search for a regional policy. So when we investigated these documents, we discovered they actually they contained uh, Adobe PDF zero day exploit. So if you open these documents on your PC, you get infected with the malware known as a mini-dupe. Uh, and the moment the malware infects your computer, it connects to Twitter to find some interesting account names, like uh, Fontenot Howard. And he says, my native tongue was ruined by a tornado, and then something interesting, right? And there's another one called Edit Albert, and it says, Albert, my cousin, he's working hard, and another encrypted information. And there's Lorinda Ray, and she says, the weather is good today, sunny. Well, no more tornado, right? Uh, and the same kind of string. And basically, this is an encrypted information that points <coughs> to the real command and control servers of Minidude. Uh, and we uh, call this the stage two. And in the stage two, Miniduke downloads GIF files, picture files, which have uh, hidden information inside. And this hidden information actually is a malware which connects to basically two different servers, one in Panama and one in Turkey. And all the stolen information from your computers, from the computers, basically it is going to Panama and to, to Turkey, to these two servers. Uh, there is an interesting clue in the code of Miniduke. Just like uh, with Red October, they left these uh, Zaklatka indicators. The people behind Miniduke left a different kind of uh, indicator in the code. So they left the number 666 which is, uh, as you can see, they put it right before the, one of the uh, subroutines which uh, decrypts the Twitter information. So they put this 666 here, you know, it's uh, not used anywhere in the code. It's just like an indicator of uh, their, op their own operation or maybe to the attackers. And this is also interesting because uh, there is another indicator somehow related to 666 in the code of Minidube. So, um, if you're familiar with a guy called uh, Dante Alighieri, probably everybody is, <laughs> uh, he's pretty much the guy who defined the uh, written Italian language, the modern Italian language. And he wrote a book called The Divine Comedy, which has three parts, the Paradiso, the Purgatorio, and the Inferno. And actually, inside the exploit used by Miniduke, there's a lot of words stolen from the inferno. Like, uh, you see all these uh, words here, then this is uh, old Italian. Uh, this Italian, uh, you know, some of them uh, still make sense today, but this is, you know, a really old uh, version of the Italian language copied from the inferno of Dante Alighieri, so another reference to 666. So people behind this attack, probably they had some kind of affiliation uh, uh, for this kind of mysteries and the number 666 and uh, the inferno. But of course, we don't know for sure who they are. Um, so to summarize this Miniduke, it was probably active since 2012. We have proof that Miniduke was active in May 2012. And we identified about 60 victims in 20 plus countries. Most of the countries hit by Miniduke are also in NATO. 
supply. I think that's also very interesting here. We, we cannot say this was a targeted attack against NATO or just about against the countries, but nevertheless, it's quite interesting. Uh, in Germany, we identified four IP addresses which have been uh, compromised by the Minidube. So there are at least uh, four victims, I think, of Minidube uh, in Germany. We don't know who the victims are. Of course, we contacted the law enforcement, so the law enforcement is aware of this uh, attack. And we believe it is the same threat level as Red October. However, the Romanian uh, intelligence service, uh, the secret service from Romania, they said it actually is a higher threat than Red October against uh, NATO and Romania and their allies. So yet another very interesting attack, uh, the mini, the mini dupe. So what I want to say is that, as you can see, the number of these incidents is growing. We used to have one big incident every year, and now we have several of them. Like in 2012, we had at least four. We are now in March, and we already had two major incidents. So the number of uh, uh, this kind of sophisticated malware incidents is actually growing. And uh, there are several dangers of what I call cyber war, because these are examples of cyber war. Um, cyber war is dangerous because cyber criminals can also copy some of these techniques and they can use them in their own malware against home users. Um, and we have actually seen this in the past several times. Also, it's very important to say that these are not the only threats that we are seeing. But nowadays, threats are pretty much everywhere. You know, no matter if you have a mobile phone, a Mac, or Android device, there are threats for pretty much every device that exists out there. Um, and of course, we have hacktivists, and we have cyber crimi criminals, and we have nation states. Pardon me. Right, so we have to say that nowadays in the corporate environment, threats are coming pretty much from all angles. And it's extremely sophisticated. One of the hardest uh, things for system administrators is to secure their systems. And of course, uh, what I want to, to offer you today as a conclusion of my presentation, uh, and this is one of the questions which I get from people is, how do you protect yourself against all these threats. If you see that NATO gets, uh, you know, NATO countries get infected and governments are infected by these attacks, what is a solution? How do you protect yourself against attacks? And uh, actually, I cannot say there is like a universal <laughs> ultimate solution, but there are certain keywords that you want to look for when uh, choosing a security solution for yourself. So uh, what I want to say is that against military-grade malware, you have uh, to install like the best available uh, technology. And you can actually recognize this technology very easily. And I will show you that uh, all you need to know is just some keywords. So you have to look for uh, software which has patch management, which has whitelisting, which implements uh, default deny policies. Uh, exploit prevention, defense against zero days, real-time protection, cloud protection, perimeter access, green zone, raise awareness with the employees, implement access control, and very important is user education. 
Uh, and, um, you know, just to end up like with a positive note, um, we believe that in the future the amount of threats will increase and we are going to see more and more Red October. However, the good news is that the defense technologies are also getting better and better. And uh, we have like a very good uh, uh, high hope that by implementing such defense technologies, uh, and it doesn't matter from which vendor they come, as long as you have the best available technologies which implement these kind of solutions, you should be protected against attacks. So this was uh, the end of my presentation. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much. So thank you, Kosten. Quite exciting. Um, do you have any questions? Ian Murphy, CIC. Developers often get blamed for being the lazy part in most corporate attacks. One of the problems for developers is getting an adequate um, set of libraries against which they can test their code. We've done better over the last few years, but security companies have vast libraries of strings and codes and things that could be used to ensure that nothing is getting embedded into uh, enterprise code when it's being written. Why are there no libraries issued by security companies for corporate developers to be able to use? Mm -hmm. um, I've heard this question before and um, I've seen a very interesting uh, uh, presentation on this subject from somebody working on a very big uh, company, a software development company, and they suffered a uh, compromise, they suffered an attack. And the attacker um, managed to modify their code uh, in order to plant a backdoor. And I can tell you that the modification made by the attacker in their code was only about six bytes. And unfortunately, I don't think there is any uh, signature in the world which will catch such a small modification in the code. The thing is that with these high-level targeted attacks, the attackers will make like a customized backdoor into the code. And unfortunately, no signature or library from security companies will be able to spot it. Yes? Um, looking at Stuxnet, Flame, uh, Red October, Mini Duke, uh, why is it so that uh, Kaspersky is the only uh, AV uh, firm which is able to detect these mm -hmm. cyber weapons? Um, I, I don't think we're the only ones. Um, um, like for instance, Tuxnet was discovered by Virus Blockada, Duku was discovered by uh, Crisis Lab. Uh, we discovered Flame, Gauss, and now Red October. Uh, last week, Symantec announced the uh, discovery of a new Tuxnet variant. I think the amount of companies which can make such discoveries is actually very small because of the technical uh, skills required for such analysis. So uh, if you ask how many companies can afford to put people for 10 years to analyze just one virus, that's, I would say, maybe two companies in the whole world. And that's simply because they don't have resources. Every day we see more than 100,000 new viruses. Uh, and you have to hire more and more people to analyze those 100,000 viruses. You cannot afford to put even one person to analyze one virus for 10 years. 
So I think that this kind of game and the research which uh, Kaspersky is doing is becoming like very, very difficult and only very few companies will be able to kind of keep up with this, uh, uh, with this kind of announcements. And I'm sure that, you know, um, probably many of our competitors would like to do the same, but it just takes a huge amount of resources. How about the public sector? Do you have any information how military and the public sector is doing research as you do it? Mm -hmm. uh, in some countries, uh, both military and uh, public sector, they have very good CERT, computer emergency response teams. And we have been in touch in the case of Red October and Mini Duke and Flame, we've been in touch with some really advanced groups like uh, I can say like 100% that the groups from Germany are some of the best in the world. Uh, we've uh, partnered with the CERT Bund team for the flame uh, command servers analysis. And I can say that some of them have some of the best people in the world for sure, but there are other countries which don't have resources to, to analyze this kind of threats. Uh, countries which have like less money and less people. But uh, there are for sure uh, in countries such as Germany, such as United States, uh, such as Greece, uh, even in Ukraine, they have very, very skilled teams and very good people doing the same kind of analysis. Um, there was, uh, in the last few weeks, there was some rumors or, or some yeah, announcements about uh, security companies or research companies mm -hmm. uh, uncovering security zero-day uh, holes and then selling them to, not to the uh, manufacturers of the software, but to uh, governments. Yeah, uh, governments or who else, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, we did a... Uh, very deep research into a um, company called the Hacking Team. And this company from Italy specializes in uh, government spyware. So they create uh, viruses which they sell to governments to spy on the citizens in that country. And our analysis indicated that uh, unfortunately the situation is uh, quite bad. And that is, why is it bad? Because um, uh, it appears there is no kind of regulation and control for who can buy this kind of advanced viruses. And we discovered cases, uh, very uh, strange cases, uh, like in different countries around the world, when this kind of malware was used to spy on uh, innocent people, like uh, uh, activists, like human rights fighters. Uh, and the same uh, research was also done by a company, by a group called Citizen Lab uh, from the University of Toronto. I think this is a very, very dangerous business. And uh, the reason is uh, that such companies, um, they are becoming more and more popular every day. We have Vupen in France. We have the hacking team in Italy. Uh, and uh, although they say that they only sell to NATO countries, we discovered that this is not <coughs> true. That actually countries which are not in NATO, they also uh, have the ability to purchase this kind of exploits. For instance, uh, we uh, saw uh, usage of uh, the hacking team malware in Turkmenistan. And if you look at uh, Turkmenistan on the list of uh, 
the so-called um, uh, democracy index. Uh, it is number 176 in the world, right between Syria and Iran. So you have suddenly companies from uh, NATO countries. Uh, uh, there is, I think there is even a German company called Gamma International, which is selling this kind of software. And the software from Gamma International was also discovered in uh, countries with very poor human rights records. And the, the danger is, imagine that countries um, such as uh, North Korea can get access to such tools and they can use them against uh, pretty much anyone, the Germany, France, NATO countries, and so on. So this is a real danger. The danger is that there is no control towards who can buy such kind of technology. It's, it's like, you know, it's in a jungle and there are people creating uh, super uh, bombs and uh, powerful weapons and anyone can buy these weapons and <coughs> kill anybody else with them. So I think it's a very, very dangerous market and uh, uh, it's a huge problem at the moment. Very, very good question, thank you. How big do you think is the danger that a company or a state gets attacked and doesn't realize it mm -hmm. so that the, the data can be stolen on and on? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that in most cases, um, um, they don't realize they were attacked um, and they can be compromised even for several years as we have seen from uh, the Red October. Just to give you an example, there are victims of Red October that we notified last year in December. So last year in December we said, listen, you are infected with Red October. Please check it or do something. Today, these victims are still infected with Red October, so they don't care or they don't know how to find them or who knows. It's, it's unbelievable. But uh, there are also countries, very, very advanced countries, which um, they immediately noticed when something is wrong. And um, I would say like one of such countries is Germany. As far as I know, there was no registered Red October infection in Germany. There were some infections, but they were not related to Germany. There were foreign embassies in Germany. So as far as I know, the situation in Germany is very good from this point of view, but there are countries who they just don't care. Yes, yes. It's actually very easy to, to remove Red October if you know how, uh, but if you also want to remove it. One more question. A number of the attacks such as Night Dragon have been long burning attacks. They've relied on exploits that occurred five, six, seven years ago. Some of the code in Night Dragon on some sites was actually inside whitelisted applications. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it got an immediate pass through the antivirus systems. How hard is it going to be going forward for organizations, irrespective of whether they use whitelist or blacklist or other technologies, to actually be continually scanning every single piece of code, especially that enterprise code to make systems like SAP and large-scale systems function in their business? Mm -hmm. um, well. Obviously, we are facing a, uh, an increasingly compromise of the levels of trust, and we have seen uh, attacks against certificate authorities, 
uh, in 2012, like DigiNoter, for instance, was hacked by Iranian hackers. Uh, the most interesting uh, incident that I just want to mention is the hack of Bit9, because Bit9 uh, was a company which specializes into whitelisting, and uh, the services which they offer is uh, uh, based on top of whitelisting uh, concept. And Bit9 was hacked, and the Bit9 certificates were actually stolen and used to sign malware that was later used against US uh, defense military contractors. So uh, what, I, what is the moral of this story is that imagine that some people wanted to break into US military contractors. And they knew that those military contractors were protected by Bit9 solutions, so it's um, kind of impenetrable defense unless you manage to get access to one of the Bit9 certificates which are fully trusted. And this is exactly what they happened. They hacked into Bit9, they stole the Bit9 certificates and used them to sign malware. So this erosion of trust, I think going forward will be a, an increasing problem. We saw Adobe was hacked and the Adobe certificates were stolen and used to sign malware. Uh, we saw several other companies that I cannot name which have also been hacked and we have seen malware signed by other big software vendors. So this uh, whole you know, erosion of trust is going to be a huge problem in the future and I don't see any good solution for it because uh, the whole concept we have nowadays is based on uh, PKI and certificates and there is like no good alternative that can replace it. So yeah, this is a huge problem. So thank you, if there are no more questions, uh, I would like to thank you for your uh, attention and would like to invite you to our booth in Hall 12, uh, C65. I um, want to have a special interview with uh, Kostin or our team. Um, we are still here for the next 20 minutes and we ca could arrange, of course, some one-on-ones. So thank you for coming. Thank you.